Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast, brought to you by the Evergreen Network. The Media Mavens Podcast is where you'll hear the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And here is your host of the Media Mavens Podcast. She is the original Media Maven, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, and your host for Media Mavens Podcast. And I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Koshman, Chief Creative Officer for AMB Publicity. Good morning, Michelle. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. It's Friday. I'm so glad it's Friday. Yep. Right. And yet we still work through the weekends. I'm like, weekends are still just a Monday. It's still March 17th. <laughs> I, like, I don't know what day it is. But, but, but um, you know, it's amazing because the, in the advertising, technology, music, all these industries, they don't stop. In fact, during the weekends, they pick up. So, you know, yeah, still, everybody, still playing with it. everybody we've talked to, everybody's just working and grinding through. And I think if you're a brand, you have to keep connected to your consumer. Definitely. Which is so I'm super excited to bring our next guest on right now who has a tremendous background in brand experiences and integration. So I want to introduce and bring on Carl Vaughn, who's an expert in the brand experience. His background with Billboard Rubicon Project. He ran the Clio Awards. I've known Carl for probably 12, 13 years. Carl, don't kill me for aging us. Tremendous branding and the brand experience. So, Carl, welcome to welcome. podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Sarah. And you're right. It is a little bit of aging us. I think it has been 12 <laughs> or 13 years. I, maybe even a little bit more. I can't remember, but yeah. No, no, we still look good. We still look like we just did when we first met down at Billboard. But like I met you at Billboard because we ran uh, so much Billboard stuff with you guys and way back when, the John Colin days. Give us, give everybody a little bit of background because most, not most, but a lot of our podcasts have been around. I mean, we don't want to harp on COVID. Unfortunately, it just affects and impacts our daily lives. But there's so much innovation coming out of this. And I feel like this is such a good time for brands and you know tech companies to really hunker down, get strategic. But most critical, they've got to stay connected to the consumers. Consumers want that backstory. The only way consumer loyalty is going to be there is if they know the backstory of the brand. So I think there's a lot more brand integration, consumer relations right now that's more critical than ever. But I, you know, we want to talk to you about this because you have such a tremendous background with the Rubicon Project and Billboard Magazine. So kind of give us a little bit of background of what you've been doing lately. And let's start talking brand integration right now. Yeah, you know, so I am, um, you and I met when I was working on the Billboard Awards, and that was a lot of fun. And that kind of brought me into the entertainment industry. You know, the company that owned us at that time, Nielsen, they also own the Clio Awards. And I wound up taking over the Clio Awards. And it was, at the time I took it over, it was kind of an aging brand. And we really had to reinvent that brand and figure out how to re-engage uh, with our audience. So in a lot of ways, the exact same thing that we were judging about great branding and great interactions with your customers, we had to do the exact same thing. And the best way that we did that is we just started talking to as many chief creative officers around the world as possible. And by doing that, they told us not only what we needed to do for Clio, but it was telling us a lot about how to be a great brand, right? And And I think you nailed it a little bit when you talk about COVID. It's so important what you do as a brand right now. There are some companies out there that have made mistakes that are hurting them pretty badly. 
whether that's mistakes around COVID or mistakes around Black Lives Matter. But this is also an opportunity for brands to do really great things right now. And I'm seeing some really incredibly creative stuff out there. It's almost hard to keep track of. I'll be excited when we have a vaccine and life kind of returns to a little bit of normal. I know that's not the word that we want to use. It's going to be the new normal. The new normal or whatever it is. But I'm kind of excited on how things change, right? right? Because I do think there's going to be great changes. I don't think we're all going to work from home forever. But I do think that most of us will work from home a couple days a week once we're allowed to go back to the office. And that's has so many ripple effects and the technology we're using and how you reach people when you reach them. So I'm kind of excited about what the future holds, even though obviously this is a very difficult time for a lot of people. And so I I definitely don't want to downplay how difficult it is if you've been affected by COVID, know someone affected by COVID. God forbid you've lost someone to COVID. It's not a fun time and there's a lot of anxiety. But from a perspective of what companies can do to survive this period and thrive, there's some really great stuff going on out there. Yeah. So I always say, you know, lean on tech, lean on tech. Um, in a book I just finished is the whole thing was in order to thrive and survive, you must lean on tech. When you look at Zoom, we're all over Zoom for our daily interaction. I think people are such social creatures. It's how to adapt to being social, how to work via Zoom without touching and feeling and being at the office. And I, you know, we totally agree with you. It's all about safety right now. But I think the big thing is that, you know, you know, as is an experiential, like experiential marketing has been such a huge deal in the past year or two using AR, VR and connecting with the brands and brand loyalty. And given that everybody is hunkered down, I mean, given we're like what, March, seven, eight, nine months now, there is no there there on this, but yeah, we're all hoping to come back in spring, at least start coming back. How do you think some of these brands are faring during COVID and are some of, are they doing a good job to really stay connected and interact with their consumers through all of this? I think it depends on the personality of the brand and, and the people behind that brand. I have a lot of friends in the industry that will forward me things, very funny things that you might pick up on a day-to-day basis and you see what's happening and you see how certain brands really know how to use their Twitter following or to use social media in, in, in a really great way. So obviously some brands out there are thriving. We know Netflix is, right? And then there's other brands that aren't doing so well because of the, you know, almost the exact opposite reason that they are offline brands and they haven't figured out how to transition into being an online brand. That's a big challenge for people, right? I mean, if, if you are, you know, Live Nation that produces concerts around the world, this is a really difficult time for you. And, and the question is, what do you do to try to keep a hold of your audience and keep them entertained during this period. So it's interesting, Michelle, I had an interesting conversation with the chief product officer about Warner Media, and you're totally right in this, Carl. Like Netflix, Amazon, was more the entertainment innovation side because original content, and they have to create original content because filming stopped for a while. But, you know, like, you know, we've talked to the head of HB, Harris Blitzer, CEO of Scott O'Neill, who owns the Sixers and the Devils, and He's the CEO of HB and, you know, they're confident getting fans back in the seats when sporting comes back again next year. And then, but they're doing such an incredible job keeping their consumers and their fans 
ticket savvy, you know, that their tickets are still selling out. People want to go back. They're craving that social interaction. And so I feel, given what you said, there's certain like live nations, certain areas where it is going to be detrimental because your events aren't live. There's no seats allowed, but there's so many brands out here. You know, I want to Coke, Pepsi, you know, pick, pick it, whatever you want, you know, automobiles, their necessities. Are they actually doing incentives? Because they all are online. People are, Amazon is killing them because everybody's on Amazon because they don't want to be out in public. They don't want to be in the physical space at a hardware store or a drugstore. So everybody's ordering online. But I've not seen a lot of big brands incentivized to keep that consumer interaction right now. And I don't know if the dollar of layoffs is going to sway people's buying habits to the brand or if the brands, I don't want to say they're not savvy enough because all brands know how to advertise. And, you know, you've seen this through a lot of these events you've done. But without that, there are still ways to connect, to stay connected and keep your brand live in the consumer market without an event. And that's what I haven't seen anything innovative or anything come out from any of these brands since COVID. No, and I think I think you're absolutely right. I think this happens every time there's a recession that everyone pulls back on their advertising and marketing budgets. And some savvy brands will say, this is my opportunity to get out there and really get the attention when there's less noise in the market. I mean, you have to really be creative. I'm going to give you an example of something that happened the last year, but totally could be happening during COVID, right? And that was Burger King did this thing called the detour, the Whopper detour. Have you ever heard of this one? No, I literally haven't done Burger King, McDonald's or any fast food, except, and Michelle, you'd appreciate this. We did drive through in and out Burger after the Emmys in a limo one night. And that was like the only time I've ever done in and out in the past. There you go. <laughs> That's the way to do it. So like I said, this is an example of something that came, yeah. came out in, in 2019. And it might, it might be actually a little bit older in 2019, but it, it won a lot of awards in 2019. But what Burger King did is they trolled McDonald's a little bit. They offered to sell people a Whopper for one penny. If you downloaded the Burger King app and you went to a McDonald's, which Burger King had geofenced, and then if you were inside the McDonald's using the Burger King app, when you logged on, they would send you a little token that would allow you to go buy a Whopper for a penny. But you had to go to... You had to go to McDonald's first to do that. But that's right? really, gangster. That's, that's just <laughs> the gangster burger. Um, yeah. Wait, that's a new podcast, food. But I, th- I think that's a brilliant idea, Carl, because it's all about being creative and being strategic. I mean, being in PR, we're all about being as creative and strategic as we can. We know that 97% of all startups and companies without PR, without some kind of experiential go-to-market strategy are not going to make it. So, as you know, and it's hard because, you know, the economy's bad. We're in COVID election year. But this is the perfect time, in my opinion, maybe scale down or go to the right or left on your strategy. But this is the most opportune time to put money in and get as strategic as you can. Because then when we come back, I'm going to go back. It's brand loyalty. I know the backstory. I know what's going on. I'm going to stay loyal to you post-COVID if I ran across you during COVID and had such a good experience. And I feel like right now, people's loyalties 
rights are the first thing that are in question across the board. Now's the time to get that loyalty. And we are reassessing. Mm-hmm. There, there's still drive-throughs. There's still takeout. I, I mean, that was actually like Michelle said, a gangster move for Burger King, and I think it was a brilliant <laughs> idea. But I had thought I was going to see more creativity coming out of the brands and into the consumer markets and experience than I have. And I am still looking for. Right. I'm not. I'm not do, it. do you get the sense, Carl? Because in the past, event activations they were they were always extreme or unique or glamorous. Do you get the sense that people's values have shifted in the digital activations or digital events that they're wanting to participate in? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, you know, at the same time that there's a lot of opportunity here to do a lot of really creative things, there's a lot of fear. And I can tell you from talking to brand marketers that people are afraid to take a wrong step because, like, you know, don't forget that it's not just COVID, but you've also got Black Lives Matter right now, and you've got a political election. And I think a lot of people are just afraid that they're going to do something that, you know, seems out of step with Mm -hmm. what's going on. And we see examples of it all the time on the news, you know, whether uh, there's political rallies being held and people aren't wearing masks, you know, does that mean that you can't do an event in person? I don't think that's necessarily true because we've seen um, that uh, not, not only has the Biden campaign done some of their rallies at drive-ins where they've spaced the cars apart. Right. I don't know what's going on in Los Angeles, but I can tell you up here in Portland, the most popular place to be right now is in the drive-in theater. And I know that (laughs) drive-in theaters across the United States are really popular right now. So talk about, you know, uh, one of the industries that was almost dead suddenly had a lot of life breathed back into it. It's just a matter of being creative and how you use your resources and, and using that creativity, I think people are starting to step out now because they're feeling like any day now we're going to have approval for a vaccine. It's we're probably not years away from, uh, you know, everyone being vaccinated and being able to be out in public again. We're months away from that. And with some things that you have to plan, they need months and months of planning. And so I think people are starting to feel like they're putting their toes back in the water again. I'm just saying, I kind of feel like, you know, Sarah does. I'm a little disappointed. I haven't seen more creative ideas, but I'm hoping that just from the conversations I've had, people are really starting to think outside the box. We might, right. moving forward, see a lot of really, really cool stuff. Right. We're seeing a lot of return to vintage with things too. I don't know if people are just appreciating things differently, but like you mentioned with the drive-in or some of these just more home organic family oriented activities, because that's all people can do. But then they're going, oh, this was more fun than we remembered. Well, I think we're going to keep doing this. Things are just going full circle like anything. It's a circle of life. I mean, live streaming uh, years ago was not, was it was big. It was not, not a big deal. I mean, right. I, any category for the biggest mobile awards, live streaming. It just, it was just whittling down because people just were not, they just didn't want to deal with the live streaming, sitting at home. They want to be out. They want to be active. Now we're using Zoom. Now, like, you know, we talked to a few people on the podcast, live streaming is becoming the biggest thing to share. But it's a much more advanced thing of engaging with your brands, engaging with your friends, because we are stuck at home. So we are having the kind of full circle realize, hey, well, we always had in front of us, we were so afraid of using, we now have to out of necessity, but we're now adapting to a different comfort level on this. You know, and, and I agree with you, Carl. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get going on 
what's going on in LA right now. I just think there's between the elections, between everything, there is so much uncertainty still. But I just think the biggest thing is consumer fear. And I do agree with you. If you do something creative, you know, is it appropriate? You do want the backslash because there's just a lot of angry people out there, you know, dealing with so much stuff right now. But I've seen such great innovation and people hunkering down to innovate. And I, you know, our big thing, you know, when we go back, I hate to say the winners and losers from a business standpoint, it's such a bad term, but I think there's going to be some companies that are going to come out and they're going to shine. So it's not a matter of if, it's when your competition is going to just bypass you because not they may not have a better product or service, but they have a smarter leadership because they know to take advantage of PR marketing. They want to start planning for events. And, you know, the Fit Expo is one of the largest Fit Expos ever. And, you know, they had to push off some, you know, three of their shows this year because of COVID, but they're physically on the map end of March. Um, Cities approved it. The Staples Center just decided, yes, that's our first big event back with contingencies, but they're starting their brand integration, their consumer interaction now to build and swell into the comeback. And I think that's a smart way to go about it. If we're all talking about events, you need six months, nine months to plan. Now is the time to start getting in front of your market and start creating a reason to get back involved, to build into that comeback. And that I think is going to be critical across the board for any event, regardless if it's consumer brand, technology, awards or whatnot. People are still going to be afraid to go back. And I don't want to see brands afraid to pivot and make a move. Brands cannot be afraid. Now is the time to make that next step. And that's what's concerning that we're not seeing that right now. Well, there, there is one positive side effect of this. And, and it's that brands are really taking time to think about what it is that they're trying to communicate. If you look at any of these big events that were big in-person events that were forced to become virtual events, because I think if you are you know, a, a big event like a CES and Advertising Week at Comic-Con, you're thinking, okay, well, I can't get everybody back together again, but what I can do is I can do a virtual event. And the first th- feeling is, will a virtual event fail? But the real thinking here is, what are you trying to communicate to your audience? And how can you do that? You know, face-to-face is not the only way to communicate what you're trying to communicate. It doesn't matter whether you're a live event, a conference, it doesn't matter if you're a brand, you can do it. And this is forcing us to think differently about how we interact with our audiences. I think flexibility has always been a, a skill set that's important in brand marketing. And it's particularly important right now because you have to pivot into COVID. You have to figure out what's happening as our attitudes mature and we're learning to live with COVID. And you're going to have to pivot out of COVID and figure out what things were developed during this time period that are now going to be a permanent part of how you communicate with your audience versus what's brand new, versus what's just going to go back to the way it was. Well, I think there's a balance there. I think a lot of people, it's your own threshold. Some people are just, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go get together with friends. 
I'm going to go do my thing. And then there's some people who may never go back to the gym, may just, they just want to stay hunkered down for another, you know, six, nine months because of health issues. But I think it's going to be a balance. I think we're going to be back out because we're all dying to get back out and see people and do dinners and go to games and network and grab hugs and see our friends. But I also think there's going to be a time of comfort where I may say, hey, I have an option. I could get the same experience online and maybe go out tomorrow night. So I think it's going to be a slow moving into the market, but I think it's going to be a healthier balance for us of the manicness of go, 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 be there, be here, where we still connect and we're not all over the place. So I I do think it's it's going to be a mixture of both right now because I'm not, and it's so funny because I am not a virtual event fan because I just did the Fast Company one and I have to moderate a global one in November, which I was upset about because I thought I was going to be on a plane to Germany and I was super excited. But so I got the, no, no, you're going nowhere. <laughs> you're not flying. It's a virtual. But I, you know, my thing on the virtuals, I'm kind of curious to see what your opinion is on this, Carl, because I've sat in a few virtuals, but I'm multitasking. I log off or one of the virtuals for the Fast Company one the network garden was full. Come back later. Come back later. I wasn't going to sit there and be on my computer, keep clicking and clicking and get let in just from a distance. Where when we did the billboard, when we, when we first met years ago, all the billboard, all the events, CESs, CTIAs, oh my God, the entire tech world that I kept running into you at. If we couldn't get in or an event was overfilled, we could still go to the bar, grab a drink, stand outside. We could still connect. And I've always met a lot of good people walking around, connecting versus actually being in the event, especially the ones that we ran. They couldn't get in because we were full. We had to turn them away or put them in line. And I never got a chance to really connect. I feel that part is what at least I am craving the most that I don't think you could really get from a virtual. And that's why I'm on the fence. Virtuals are great for meetings and collaboration. I don't know if virtuals are going to always be a part of our life or if it's going to slowly dwindle back down because people need social interaction. Yeah, they uh, they really do. One of the things that I've been doing is I've been writing articles on LinkedIn and I wrote one about, you know, what's the future of the office look like? And I wrote one about virtual events. And to do those articles, I talked to a bunch of my friends in the industry and asked them, you know, what do you think about this? You know, it, it, I think universally people believe that these virtual events will never replace that personal connection that you get face to face, being able to hug somebody, like you said, being able to meet somebody in the bar that leads to a business conversation. There are so many great stories that come out of these conferences that, you know, we go to around the world that, you know, sometimes they get the title of boondoggle and you might say to yourself, well, yeah, you know, There is a little bit of that going on, but I came away meeting some people that I've never met before that I would not have met had it not for, you know, the fact that I was at the bar sitting next to this guy. I overheard his conversation. We started talking business. Now they're one of our biggest clients. We hear those stories a lot. You're not going to get that out of virtual. So when we get to the point that we are moving about again, whether that's three months, six months, nine months from now. I think we will take the best of the virtual world, but the part that is just, we are just desperately trying to get back to and waiting through this COVID period is that face-to-face. It's a human, it's a human desire. It's not going to go away. 
I know I've, I've heard friends say things like, this is the new normal. It's not going to change. You better get used to it. And I keep saying, you know, some of this stuff is going to stick, but the, the desire to get together face to face, that will always be there. Well, that's the thing. It is, is, is companies have to spend money. I mean, you know, I'm not saying go spend half a million at a booth at CES. We've had clients do that pre-COVID and they're out of business three days later because they didn't have the leadership. Nobody's going to spend half a million as a startup at CES versus a hundred grand or 75 and really be strategic and creative and targeting press. I mean, companies have to have budgets, marketing PR budgets. I'm not saying, but if you don't, you will not survive the year. And people think, well, I'm going to stay hunkered down and not spend because I'm so freaked out. I guarantee 99.9%. They won't be here next year. If you're not starting to get creative, you're not spending the scale on your marketing PR and there's ways to be involved in virtuals that are much cheaper than right. versus now because you don't have the physical attributes of travel and they can't really justify the cost. You will not make it. And this is where we're constantly trying to push people. Don't like, don't let fear override. Be smart and substantive, but Absolutely. don't let fear override your decision because you're not going to be around in a year to see it through. And that's what we've all got to kind of step back and breathe through this. There's so many ways. And I think the brands, I think I'm going to pivot back. I think to what Michelle said earlier on twofold, the brands could have more exposure, more reach if everybody was on virtual. So I get that. So, but there's, but they're still not, they're still not spending the money on that. And what I don't know to your point, is are people changing their spending habits because like you guys said, fear, the dollar, there's no there there, they don't know any, you know, what their future is, or is it really the brand DNA and perception of the brand? Because we did a big brand marketing survey, bruised and battered brands. And you know, it, you know, as a CEO, are you your brand or is the brand an extension of you? And so if you look at leadership, I I've seen tremendous leadership, but I've also not seen enough strength in leadership. And I feel it's important to really look at how battered and bruised up your brand was and why you're not hitting the mark. Are you talking to the consumers? Are you really hearing what they want? And to your point, Carl, this is a brilliant time to do that. Get the surveys out, talk to them, see what's going on. And, And you know, Sarah, I think another opportunity here, if you want to put it that way, is that a lot of brands are realizing they're, they've reshifted and repackaged things to be able to reach the, the Gen Z market, right? Which spends $150 billion annually. They influence $600 billion in American households. I'm curious, Carl, do you, do you feel like brands are doing enough to, to get the attention of this next powerhouse generation? I think it's going to depend on the brand, right? I will say that, you know, what, what we've all seen with this Gen Z, they have an expectation of companies that those of us that, you know, are, are Gen X never had, right? Sure. I think that, you know, Gen X, for right or wrong, companies were in business to make money. Companies were in business to create their uh, product, right? And you really didn't care very much about the behavior of the corporate entity 
as much as you cared about the product. Well, Gen Z cares very much about the behavior of the company. And no matter how much they love a product, they won't support it if they feel the behavior of the company is not in line with their values, right? And I think we've seen that with Black Lives Matter. And I think we've seen it with COVID. I can give you a couple of quick examples. You know, Anheuser-Busch got a lot of press when almost immediately they figured out when this COVID thing started, we can take one of our facilities, which is designed to brew, bottle, label, distribute beer, and we can turn that into hand sanitizer. And they got a lot Mm. of press for that. And they also, they weren't the first, but they were certainly the most visible that a lot of small distilleries around the United States that are kind of your local distillery or your local microbrew, they realized that, you know, initially there was a lot of shortage of hand sanitizer and they started brewing their own hand sanitizers and bottling, distributing them. I think those are huge wins. Those are things that people look at and say, you know, you did a really great job there. You know, on the flip side of that, you know, this Black Lives Matter thing, you know, a couple brands really got put under the microscope. You know, you mm-hmm. look at um, Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben's and Mrs. Butterworth, and all of a sudden people are looking at this as these are inappropriate in today's world. And what is a brand going to do about it? Right. Right. And it's kind we- L'Oreal did that. L'Oreal, the CEO of L'Oreal did a huge interview or use thing. L'Oreal stopped all, all of their productions over in France and they started turning around. Uh, like you said, sanitizers and wipes and everything because they knew the stores were shut down. They knew production was coming to a halt at home. So they started, so many companies started doing that. Same with some companies, there's a retail company here in LA. I don't remember their name. They, I think she was doing wedding dresses and formal events and she knew that wasn't happening for a good year. So they started using their designers and all their materials and they started creating all these really cute masks. I mean, now the accessories isn't shoes and belts and earrings. It's, it's masks to match. And so there's a lot of that going on that I think is a tremendous use. The, you know, Microsoft was, I mean, obviously Microsoft has their, I forgot Microsoft, the collaboration tool, you know, the squares and stuff, you know, they're pushing that big. The police in London are starting to use the collaboration tools, the Zooms and Microsoft, all of these, technologies to have better responsive rate to be more connected to their communities so there are some very strong stories that i think are going to come out of this and at the end of the day it's just who is who's the most creative strategic to help make us a better safer place and an easier time to conduct business but there are so many great stories out there that we haven't really seen but i think they're going to roll out in the press first quarter once you get past elections and things become a little bit more normal is right now, but whatever that is. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Michelle's point about speaking to, you know, this younger generation and, and, and what is important to them, as well as to your point, Sarah, it's, it's, you know, you have to kind of respond to these situations and it's a really difficult thing. I, you know, I think a lot of people are in very uncomfortable positions of how do we appropriately respond to Black Lives Matter? How do we appropriately respond to COVID? I want to give you an example of one that I absolutely love that I think that they did something that uh, took a stand, but they did it for the right reason. I think they integrated it really well. I mean, getting involved in politics is really dangerous and it can make or break your brand. Have you heard of Patagonia's 
what they've done with the labels on their on their clothes. Yes, I posted that on my social media. Oh, so great! Oh my god! I think I I posted that, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to piss off some people, and people were laughing. I thought it was brilliant, but I am so surprised that did not just take off like gangbusters. I love what they did. Well, I'll say what it is so that everybody knows what it is. On their tags, on some of their clothes, I don't know if it's all of their clothes, but there's tags on the clothes that say, vote the a-holes out. And the purpose is, is that there are people in politics right now that are climate deniers. And of course, Patagonia is all about the great outdoors. And you know we're seeing a lot of effects of global warming on the climate. So Patagonia has a very vested interest in this. It's critical and important to their mission and purpose as a brand to take a stand on something like this. So while getting involved in politics is dangerous, Patagonia found a really deft way to do it because they're targeting climate deniers. And for everyone that is, you know, excited about the outdoors, I think that resonates extremely well with them. Yeah, I just think they did it. So, okay, so that's a good example of brands that are actually connecting to their consumer market you know, and reaching a deeper level. And it's all about the brand loyalty. Let's just be honest. At the end of the day, it's brand loyalty. And if you're going to be creative and you know the backstory of a company, you're going to have a better experience. You're going to stay loyal a lot longer when we're so COVID thing lifts. But, you know, we've mentioned Black Lives Matter a few times. And I always try to steer clear of the subject of politics and what's (laughs) going on because we're so socially divided. And there's been a lot of, unrest and issues going on in LA lately. So I really don't like commenting on that. I figure there's so much negativity in the world. People don't need to vent it out and voice their hatred on social and stuff. But I also don't want to seem like Carl that I'm discounting this because I, you know, all lives matter. It's just a turmoil we're in right now. But how, how do you feel brands are handling this Black Lives Matter? Because some of the brands we've talked to, most have been big retails who are having the bigger issues. It's hard for them. I mean, they're just doing their best to keep their team safe. They're not racist. Everybody matters. You just have to wear your mask. But are you, I mean, but I'm not seeing a lot of brand campaigns. I mean, how do you feel brands are handling this? Or do you think they're just kind of putting their head in the sand, waiting for the whole thing to blow over, like historically so, as we've always done? And then things get better again. I mean, I think it's such a sticky situation of how brands are handling this. I know a major NBA team who is all about adversity, all about equality, and they have promoted more women in the past two months up in the ranks than any other company I've seen in the past two years because they want to take a stand, you know, that everybody matters. Yeah, you know. This is, it's a really, really tough one. And I've seen companies react very differently to Black Lives Matter. I know that there's been a lot of major companies out there that the first thing that they did is, you know, they went to their social media and they immediately put the Black Lives Matter logo on their social media. And, you know, it's kind of a recognition that that's an important topic. I also know there are people that have criticized that, that have said, just because you put the Black Lives Matter logo there doesn't mean you're actually supporting the issue and you need to take action. And I've heard of companies resisting that, not wanting to promote the logo because it means 
they're not prepared to take action. But those same companies, I've heard stories from friends that the employees of the companies, the employees of the brands themselves are saying, if you don't do something, you're going to have an issue with us. So you're getting change from the inside and the outside simultaneously. Some people are handling it beautifully. Some people are not. I think it depends. Most of the examples that are handling it beautifully are ones that are very much invested in Black Lives Matter, where it's very visible, you know, the MBA and brands like that. For those brands, it would be almost suicide not to acknowledge it, not to do something, right? There's other brands that can quietly slink into the background and wait to figure out what everyone's doing that's the safest thing to do. You know, if if that's where you are as a brand and you're scared of making a mistake here, you know, that those are decisions that, you, that each brand has to make. But I certainly love it when you see a really great execution and you see something that just seems to make a lot of sense. This is what I call it probably, you know, during, I mean, things were probably when we met and we did so many events, you know, and the whole relationship I've had, you know, in the industry with you is I, we always used to talk about this too. It starts from the top down. It's, it's leadership. So yeah. all the changes do start from the top down, which goes back to the bruise and battered brand survey, market survey we did. Is it really that you are an indication of how, as a person of how your brand is being ran or the other way around? Are you adapting to what's best for the brand long-term by taking a step back you know, waiting to see how things go? Or are you actual, your brand is the indication of the leadership of the CEO and the team because you're going to take a stand, you're going to be proactive. I mean, is that, that's a big psychological play on people. I want to be leaning towards the people that are taking a stand, that are leading, not standing back and waiting. Yeah, one of the articles I wrote was, it was about the, the DEI movement, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, you know, a lot of tech brands are run by a lot of middle-aged white guys. They don't have the kind of diversity that you see in other companies or diversity that's reflective of the community around them. And I think what all of this has brought to light is we need to do a better job of understanding what's happening around us and respond to that. Those, you know, as Michelle brought up, the Gen Z expects companies to react to what's going on around them, to have a social conscience because companies are very powerful. And when a major brand speaks, it can have a really big effect. The kind of movements that Facebook can make on hate speech is tremendous, right? Social media is very powerful, right? especially for younger people. And when Twitter and Facebook and Snap start to make some changes that limit hate speech, that limit what can go on. I understand their big fear is limiting free speech, but they've gotten to the point where if they don't do something about it, they're going to be in trouble. Well, it's so funny. I I have snoozed so many people on my Facebook page who the hate speech, these are people in the digital tech space and the entertainment space. Some are pretty well-known, you know, Carl, that you and I, I think are both connected to and that we've run across. And I'm like, you're not a doctor, you're not a scientist, you're not CDC, stop repurposing social media bullshit because it's just creating more scare tactics and more this chaos. And then everybody gets to this super bad hate speech about politics and everything. And I, so I'm just like, I don't want a 
political or race war on my Facebook page and I won't tolerate it. So, and it's weird because I'm seeing like we Ross, everybody's like, I'm taking breaks now and then every few days because I'm so tired of seeing not the hate speech from groups, but from individuals venting. It's just horrible stuff they're saying. And I'm looking at these people. If you're saying such horrible stuff, you have an opinion. Your opinion's not right or wrong. It's your personal opinion. But if you have an opinion, you got to say it without judgment and hate. And like I just posted something on my Facebook page and I've never, I never post political stuff and stuff like that. But I finally felt like, you know, I'm all about as an agency with the podcast, we create a platform to give you a voice to tell your story. So I actually stepped up for the first time and used my voice because I just, for some situations in LA and it's just, I, there's a way to have an opinion without spewing hate and vitriol towards others that is, and I just, I'm seeing so much of that. And to Michelle's point, it's not just a Z generation. It's not X, it's not millennials. I think this right now is affecting everybody, no matter age or voting. I just, I, I'm not going to, I'm not disagreeing with you guys. You have to cater to your market, but right now, we are we have a focused market as a brand, but we also have a wider net here because everybody's dealing and faced with the exact same problem, no matter how old you are. And a lot of people who weren't as vocal as some of these younger generations are now becoming vocal, if not more vocal. I just think right. I just I think as a society, everything we're seeing right now isn't pushing us forward as a civilization. It's pushing us backwards. There's so much hate and negativity. So all the brands, like we always say, do good, be good. I want to start seeing brands do good, be good. Tech, consumer, you name it. Get back out there. Start driving the business. Be better. Be nicer. Be smarter. Let's get back together versus this. I don't even know what we're in right now. It's such a strange bubble. But it's just, it's incredible what's been going on out there. Now, Carl, it, you know, I love that you're writing articles on LinkedIn. And I do follow you on LinkedIn. And you are, I've seen a few of them. You're doing a tremendous job with that. And I think that's a voice that needs to be heard more. And I know we're getting short on time. I definitely want to have you back to talk more about brand integration, where we are now, and how we've evolved through this in, like, you know, January, February. But right now you're doing a lot of writing. You're doing a lot of, you have a lot of involvement in the brand space. Where can people find you or go to read your stories and your articles? Uh, it's pretty easy. I'm on LinkedIn. I always forget what my LinkedIn address is. I think it's linkedin.com. And I have to do the forward slash in forward slash Carl Vance. And you can find me on LinkedIn. That's, that's going to be the easiest place where I'm posting. So, so it's, it's K-A-R-L-V-O-N-T-Z just for everybody who wants to get a hold of you. That's right. Okay. I just, I, you know, I know we're running out of time and it's a Friday. Uh, Carl, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with us. Oh, it's been great. It was a conversation that needed to be had. It's one that we were looking forward to. Definitely want to finish the conversation on another podcast. But for now, this is Sarah Miller with CEO of Access Entertainment, your media maven. Host. I'm with Michelle Koshman. Michelle, thank you for co-hosting another wonderful podcast. Carl, we definitely want to see you come back again and you can tune in every Wednesday at 5 p.m. when we drop another podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens podcast. 
If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider or on the Evergreen Podcast Network. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, log on to www.mediamavenspodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.